Beware the preseason hype. Stop shop for news, views, and overreactions to all things NFL. It's finally here. Week one is upon us. It's time to watch some actual football. So, hey, we got Connor here. We got Ronan. Hello. And we got Sean. Hello. How are we getting on, guys? Any crack? Uh, start with you, Sean. How's Waterford? It's grand, yeah. We've got our traditional early September heat wave, just as the kids go back to school, which is nice. Other than that, I went to see Athlone Town actually win a game last weekend, which was an amazing experience. They appear to be non-crap, which is a very weird thing to terms with after like 30 years of them being terrible. 1,200 people at a League of Ireland First Division game on a Friday night, which is a thing you do not see very often. So No, that's uh, is it particularly big down in Waterford then? Seems to be, yeah. It seems to have, they seem to have a fan base. And, and did, you, is... did you massively not ingratiate yourself to the locals by cheering on the visiting <laughs> side? No, I kept quiet. I kept quiet with the goals went in. What, do, do Athlone Town have a nickname? I think it's just the town. The town. Uh, Original. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's like that town, though. It's like you have to say it in an Athlone accent. Okay, fair uh, enough. Very good. I don't think uh, Athlone accent is safe for this podcast. Uh, I don't think the listeners are quite ready for that. No, I don't <laughs> think so. I don't think it's good that Sean had it beaten out of him as a child. <laughs> yep, yep. Important. Fitz, how about yourself? How's all in Cork? Yeah, pretty quiet at the moment. You know, as Sean says, the, the weather's out uh, and about, so I've been just enjoying that a little bit. Uh, but other than that, just sitting back and relaxing and waiting for the NFL season to come, and it also coincides with the Rugby World Cup, so big little load of sport coming up for the next month or so. Yeah, it's going to be fairly intense. Similar, it's roasting up here as well. We had a, we had a very intense training session with the Dublin Wolves on Saturday. It was probably the, <laughs> the, the hardest training session I've been to so far. Good crack, and other than that, mostly playing. Baldur's Gate because it turns out the new one will play on my laptop and uh, yeah it's real good hardly recommend if you are looking for a ginormous time sink but it is very enjoyable I suppose we'll fly on and have a look at a few of the bits and pieces from the last week we're now back into our weekly so you'll be hearing from us every Thursday from this point onwards we'll kick off in controversy corner there's two holdouts still ongoing Chris Jones Kansas City Chiefs defensive lineman is still not with the team and San Francisco edge rusher Nick Bosa is holding out as well Jones is ongoing in discussions he seems to have lost a bit of leverage here and the fans are turning a little bit on it he seems to be getting say middling to bad advice from there's been some reporting, but I don't think it's particularly well sourced on numbers that have been floating around. Uh, the person who was reporting those has been wrong on those things a couple of times. But it seems to be he, his camp is saying that he's not looking for Aaron Donald numbers exactly, but we'll see how that plays out. They seem relatively hopeful they'll get a deal done, but given they're playing on Thursday night, I would say he's highly doubtful to be playing against the Lions at any rate. Yeah, it seems like relationship has broken down there to some extent. I don't think it's too angry, but it's just... This is business and we got to do what's best for ourselves as Chris Jones. As you, as you talked about last week, he is incurring significant financial penalties by holding out this long. So it's obviously not completely about the money. Otherwise, he probably would have signed and, you know, done the maths at this point. So I think it's a situation where obviously he'll have to play to some extent with the team this year. Otherwise, his contract won't toll. So there's going to be some kind of coming together at some point. But 
whether that's going to happen in the near future it seems less and less likely as we go into each week but with enough money and enough push it could get done at any moment so we won't say that it'll definitely not happen but yeah it seems unlikely at this stage that Chris Jones will be playing in week one which is a major step back for that defense I think there was some people comparing performance with him without Chris Jones and it's a pretty substantial difference when he's on the field or not we'd hope to get him back as soon as possible but obviously like we said probably unlikely for week one at this stage Bosa is also out at the moment uh, although again there's been positive sounds in the media about him coming closer on a deal at the moment this is one of those ones that we didn't really talk about last week because we kind of thought it would just be done over yeah the well weekend, he, so. he, he turned up to the facility and stuff so we kind of thought yeah. it was a done deal but now it's not uh, finalized yet so and then the numbers apparently aren't too far apart but we do know that uh, you know the Bosa brothers have tended to be a little bit uh, willing to, to hold out and make life difficult for their team until they get the exact uh, terms that they want and obviously he's such a central part of that defense and such a talented player that he will probably get what he wants. I think he's, he's already been offered basically TG with Watt Plus type contract mm-hmm. and they're about like two to four million off apparently in terms of numbers, which seems like a small amount. But obviously the Bosa brothers have been uh, taught to play it out to the bitter end in terms of contract negotiations. And it's hard to see the 49ers uh, being willing to to lay, out, lay down their lives to not fill in that two million, four million gap, whatever happens to be. Yeah, these are yeah, two but- players that know that there are positions of high value in the NFL. It's hard to come by top linemen, top edge rushers, and it's, you know, they, they know that they're in a position to try and maximise themselves. And I don't in any way disagree with these guys trying to get all the money they can. I mean, I would say it's a little bit irresponsible from a team perspective, and both of these teams are going to be going for number one seed, and obviously you don't want to be losing games early to, to kind of fall behind in terms of that. Kansas City have a pretty tough opening day. San Francisco, you could argue, given what's been talked about, the Steelers have also got a tough one. And you don't want to be starting with losses, especially since the Bosa thing does seem to be a question of a couple of million, which I admit is not a thing you should be saying lightly. But I mean, <laughs> it feels like that they that should that is something that can be solved by just sitting down and being like, look, what will it take? It's like, oh, you're giving me TJ Watt money and I want Aaron Donald money. It's like, come on, guys, there's a a Super Bowl to win here. Let's sit down and (laughs) do some business, you know? No, so hopefully now, by the time the games roll around, these are sorted because you you want the best product on the field. The best product involves these two top players playing and and giving us kind of what we want to see. Fingers crossed they both get sorted relatively quickly. We had some transactions as well, two extensions happen. We actually, we were discussing this on the podcast last week about like tight ends getting paid and how that'll set the market. TJ Hawkinson, we mentioned, was looking to be up the top of the market and he's got a four-year, $68.5 million contract out of Minnesota. So that's good money for him in Dallas also. He said their offensive lineman turned steal five years, $86.8 million. Two big, chunky contracts. The Dallas O-line, obviously, they want to protect their quarterback. They have, you know, previously had the best line. Now it's not quite what it once was. Terrence Steele is a good player, though, probably worth his money. Hawkinson... I, it's a lot of money. He did play well last year, but it, it is a chunk of money, particularly in a Minnesota team that seems to be ready to turn the page. But that, to me, says that they see him as a cornerstone building block for their offense in the post-Kirk Cousins world or whatever the next iteration looks like. So they did trade the picks last year to get TJ Hawkinson in. He's obviously got a good rapport with the current quarterback, Kirk Cousins, so that's certainly not a negative by any stretch of the imagination. And I we think do it's know a negative a- if you get on with Kirk Cousins. <laughs> If you have a high-end tight end, that's the kind of perfect safety blanket for a newer quarterback if they end up going a different direction next season. It's a little bit of an overpay, but obviously if they're not expecting you paying Cousins amount or if they're only going to have a Cousins level quarterback, it's unlikely they're going to be paying the kind of super premium money at the quarterback position. So that means there's a bit more money to give to people like DJ Hawkinson. Now that money in their cap will probably run out pretty quickly because I think they're also trying to get Justin Jefferson signed up. That may have already happened by the time you, you listen to this or 
by the time the, the NFL weekend is over. But that probably makes sense given his price is only going to go up, you would imagine, as you go forward. So Hawkinson, I think, you know, having top of the tight end money kind of makes sense for him outside of Travis Kelsey. He's very much in that second tier of tight ends that guys like George Kittle or Dallas Goddard or Mark Andrews. As for Terrence Steele, good story. There's a guy, I think he was undrafted, kind of worked his way through the system, now gets a pretty good extension. And this is pretty much kind of the, the going rate for like an above average offensive lineman. It's a good position to be in, basically. So obviously not getting top of the level uh, contract, but kind of in an area for people like Jack Conklin or Taylor Moten, who were paid a few years ago. So I think he'll be happy enough with that. And that obviously secures his future for the foreseeable. Rebuild that Dallas offense. I mean, it's not quite the Dallas offensive line that we had a few years ago which was an elite unit but it's getting back to being a, a strength rather than a weakness uh, thanks to guys like Terrence Steele breaking through. New England we mentioned that they had some unusual transactions happening around their quarterbacks so they've now signed Matt Corral for, who was released by the Panthers I believe it was. He'll compete with Zappi for the second spot. Zappi was cleared waivers made it through to them on the practice squad. I did read an interesting thing about how the new regulations around the third quarterback is and that this might be a funny maneuvering to do with the phrasing of whether or not the third quarterback doesn't have to count against the 53-man roster but you could have a second quarterback who's coming in off the practice squad and then basically be able to have the three of them but yeah basically some fiddly bits but I'm not gonna lie Matt Corral doesn't exactly alleviate the concerns I had around this quarterback room in New England, Sean. On the one level, there does seem to be some sort of voodoo magic thing going on where they've, they've not only got the one of their backup quarterbacks that they essentially waived and then de-waived, but this guy was... The reason the Panthers gave up draft picks to the Patriots to rise up to draft him, and then he never played because he got injured, uh, and now he's on the Panthers. And who injured him, Sean? Pats. <laughs> no comment. The Patriots, so... <laughs> for the listeners who don't know. Uh, he was the unfortunate where we discovered what a Liz Frank injury was early last year. I mean, I don't know. I well, I have no idea. This guy has literally been injured his entire professional career. He was injured a few times at college as well, so you'd be worried about his injury proneness and how much he can be relied upon. I mean, the numbers for him at Ole Miss don't don't uh, exactly leap out. I mean, he was a third round pick, low third round kind of thing, so it's questionable. Probably the ultimate situation right is here is that this would be fine having Carl and Zappi as a backup if your quarterback was like Pat Mahomes, right? Or, you know, someone who you could, you could rely on, you know, to be the guy, and these guys are only in the case, break only in the case of an emergency. But Mac Jones has literally been benched by Belichick for not being good at his job last year. I can't imagine those kind of trust issues have gone away. I don't think Mac Jones is seen anymore as a solution, but the Pats don't seem to be chasing anybody else. It seems, it's a very strange situation in that unless Belichick genuinely believes he can do without a quarterback, which would be the, the great innovation, I guess, of his of his career. I just see this as being a recipe of disaster. At some point, either Mac Jones is going to have to finally come out of his shell and have an amazing season, which we haven't really seen any evidence for, or one of these backup guys, which they don't seem to have any either, has to step up and perform. And I can't see either of those things actually likely to happen. So I'm very, again, I, I'm not overly optimistic about this past season coming up, and this is just another reason for me to be like, I don't know what's going on here, I don't think. But it certainly doesn't look good. There's no way I can justify to myself as this is this is just really clever maneuvering. Yes, they seem to be exploiting a loophole, but other than that, I don't think they're exploiting the loophole to actually get you know, good players, uh, and they're gonna have a they're gonna have a strong test in week one with Philly coming down to them. So it'll be an interesting one to watch. And let's have a look at a couple of injuries from around the league. Two kind of big ones of note is LA Rams star wide receiver Cooper Cup, who obviously was the 
best receiver in the league two years ago and then had an okay last season. He has a hamstring injury again. So he's had a couple of these uh, over the last couple of months. He is considered day-to-day at the moment, but he's not with the team. He flew up to see a surgical specialist in Minnesota to discuss it, see what his options are. They're being very cagey about what the story is. He's officially day-to-day at the moment, but I would say I would think of him as highly questionable for week one at the moment if he's up looking at potential surgical options for a recurring hamstring injury. The other one would be Miami running back Jeff Wilson, who's injured his midsection and his fingers. So he's been placed on... On IR, which means he'd come back later in the season, but he is gone for a minimum of four games. There's a lot of moving pieces in that Miami backfield, but Jeff Wilson was expected to be a large part of that, so that's going to cause a little bit of scrambling and adventures in exactly what they're going to be able to pull out of the running back position. But these are two starters, and particularly in Cup's case, probably a key part of their offense that is now going to be potentially. Well, in Jeff Wilson's case, not in the field to start the season. And for Cooper Cup, God knows whether he'll be there or whether he'll be gone for an extended period of time or what's going to happen. The Cooper Cup injury is definitely a huge concern. Like this was one of those ones which was kind of in the background noise, but which never, you know, reached anywhere. Anyone believed he wouldn't be playing week one. Now we get a a day-to-day questionable type tag for him from Sean McVay. He's now gone to Minnesota to see a specialist. We know that hamstring injuries can be a bit... Uh, trickier than some other injuries and like it's really a big problem for now the rams aren't really relevant but it's a huge problem for them in any way possibly relevant like in sean's greatest hopes that he had earlier in the off season which i obviously we will admit last week he he has majorly brought down at this point and don't worry but, like, Sean, behind- we, we didn't we didn't catch you there just adjusting your pick away from the from the la rams there on the uh, <laughs> on the matchup coming no evidence that i'm not a huge seahawks fan <laughs> like, who is the next best weapon on that offense? Is it like Cam Akers? Van Jefferson? Like something Van like that? I don't Tyler even... Higby? Puka Nakua? Like the, he's got a bit of hype as a... Like it's, he does. It's very grim. And this is a grim team. We kind of talked about it in the previews. That like it's got some blue chip talents, like genuine like world class players. And then the rest is just trash. And Cooper Cup was one of those few rare great players. And you imagine that Matt Stafford will miss him hugely in the early goings if he misses any time because... Just no one can do what he does in terms of those option routes, in terms of creating space in very tight spaces in the red zone and so on and so forth. So that's a huge loss to the Rams. As for Miami, Jeff Wilson, obviously not the most exciting back, but definitely a solid part of their kind of backfield committee that they've had in the McDaniel era. That probably means more time for Mostert. Devon A-Chain, whenever he gets back and he's fully healthy, he may or may not be can play in week one. And don't be surprised that maybe they stiff around picking up some kind of veteran or, or some other guy that they like to look off to kind of complement what they have there. But probably more work for most there but obviously it's not a team that runs to to, to the run game their run game last year was pretty mediocre but obviously it's still one of those things you don't want to get too down low lest that other teams really focus in on stopping the attacking game and uh, Kyle Rudolph is retiring after 12 seasons a tight end obviously could have known for stints in a couple of places I think he caught his last touchdown pass from Tom Brady which is a nice little touch for him but yeah 12 seasons pretty good probably not a hall of fame type guy like fairly fairly solid career he looked like at some point in the kind of middle of his career that he might break out and be kind of joined the kind of maybe low end Pro Bowl type era, but it never quite built on what he had in like the early mid to 2010s. And towards the end of the year, he basically became a backup type player. But he was always good for having some festive appropriate uh, big breakout game in around Christmas every year. He was always a solid fantasy go-to if you needed a tight end later in a draft. Yeah, no, 12 seasons, good running, and I believe he's planning to do some media stuff after this, so very good. We, uh, we may see him on some broadcast at some point. But that's it, boys. That's all the news, and it's time for us to look at... Uh, fuck, it's great. It's finally here. The first week of games. Let's move on and have a look at our picks for week one. <laughs> 
Okay, so we'll start with Thursday Night Football. The Detroit Lions travel up to Kansas City to take on the defending champions. We'll obviously see the unfurling of the banners and all that kind of stuff. Very big, exciting game. These are two teams. Obviously, I'm a Chiefs fan, a big Lions fan as well. I think they're a great team. It's going to be very exciting to watch. I'd say a couple of points of note. Just a note here from the future that this was recorded before the Travis Kelsey injury was announced. With the hyperextended knee, it looks like he may miss week one. Obviously a huge loss for the Kansas City Chiefs. We'll see what they can do if he is absent. And obviously the question mark of Chris Jones that we mentioned in the news part, he's probably not playing, but with him not there, what's this Kansas City defensive line going to be able to do? The Lions have an extremely good offensive line, so Goff should have plenty of time. They'll be looking to a couple of the younger fellas, Carl Aftis, FAU and people like that to come in and try and bring some pressure. And they've got a couple of veterans there, but obviously Jones not being there is going to be an impact we've also then got like you know the Detroit defensive line that has a couple of big names Hutchinson is there and so on going to try and get to Mahomes or will their kind of slightly leaky last year secondary be an issue for them I think a big question as well is going to be who's going to be the receivers that Mahomes is going to be targeting in on this like I said there's been a lot of turnover at that position there's obviously rookies there's new players there's like a reliable option or like you know your go-to from last year is probably MVS which is not exactly heartening to say but there's a lot of exciting talent behind them obviously Kelsey's going to be there as well so they've a lot of weapons to try and cause issues in the backfield they've got some interesting running backs that they can get out there Pacheco see if he can continue his campaign from last year but this is a Detroit offense that has like we said an excellent offensive line Goff is a very good quarterback since he's moved over to the Lions. Hopefully he can continue his performance from last year into this year. They have Amon Ross St. Brown. They have the new rookies at Gibbs at running back. They've got a lot of pieces here. It, it, it should make for a very exciting game. Like if we had said three years ago, the Lions are taking on the Chiefs to start the season, we would have just been like snooze fest or just getting that out of the way because everyone's going to watch the opening game. But this, I think has a chance to be an extremely exciting game. And like I said on the last podcast, this is a preview of what my prediction for the Super Bowl is. Yeah, it's going to be good. I mean, I think there are an awful lot of variables that maybe this one game isn't going to solve, but we can start to see some sort of answers to it. I find myself a little bit unwilling to question who Mahomes' receivers are going to be, is going to be any good or not, because we've always seen that no matter who he seems to throw to or who is is out there, he finds a way to make it work. So I'm not worried about how dynamic this Chiefs offense is. I think as long as you have Pat Mahomes, you're always going to be good. The big dynamic that's going to interest me, I think, is how this Lions offense does against this Chiefs defense. Obviously, the Chiefs defense has, has always been kind of the, the, the little cousin uh, of the team, occasionally doing some interesting things. Uh, and certainly with Spagnolo, they always used to be able to, to mix it up uh, an awful lot. The question is, how do they deal with this Lions? Or what will, when we first get to what will the Lions offense actually look like? I mean, there are these changes at running back, obviously, that they're maybe not going to be as dynamic as they were last year, not, not, not as exciting, but they, they maybe will have more consistency, uh, more of a game plan and uh, come together. So I think it'll be interesting to see, are the Lions as good as we all hope they're going to be? Or can they come out week one and look like that? And how will... The Chiefs will the Chiefs hit the ground? I, I mean, I, I happen to think that the Chiefs more often than not often do, and I think they would probably have enough for the Lions. And, and maybe it's not the fairest game to to start the season for someone like the Lions because he, I think they they are a team that does well in momentum. Their season only really got going last year once they got a few wins of the belt, but once they did, they rattled off eight wins in ten. So you'd wonder if the Lions can see this as 
a chance to take a scalp, but maybe not take it too seriously in terms of if they lose, you know, their season really starts week two kind of thing. But it's going to be interesting. We Also the question, I guess, of the Biennemi thing, to what extent was Biennemi the any part of the brains of the operation on the offensive side, or was it always just Mahomes and Reed? Again, I, I kind of have to feel you've got to trust Andy Reid, you've got to trust Pat Mahomes. I kind of feel like they've answered any questions thrown up against them so far, and there's no reason to believe that they can't do that. So it's going to be a fun game, but I think Casey probably... There's fewer question marks right now over what team they're going to be, and there's more trust historically based on people like Mahomes to do things. So I think they, they will have the edge. It'll be very exciting to watch this Lions team, even though I don't necessarily expect them to win week one, just to see what level that they're at and what level maybe we can expect them at, at as the season goes along. With the Chiefs, like we're giving them the respect they deserve. They're a team that has managed to win a lot of games over the last uh, half a decade, basically. Uh, especially since Mahomes came in there. So this is going to like, when will you people learn type pick? Just give it to KC and let them at it. But Detroit have a very definite road to making an impact in this game and potentially winning it because they have the advantage on both sides of the ball in terms of the trenches. Like their defensive line, obviously headlined by Aiden Hutchinson, but with a lot of depth behind them with guys like Romeo Quara. They have a lot of depth there at the red rusher position and that means that you know they could get to Mahomes and get him off his off his thing and obviously uh, everything indicates that he's probably fully recovered from the ankle uh, stuff that he had uh, at the end of last season but you know he'll certainly be given a, a bit of work there to kind of do his magic yeah. and, and it's two new tackles as well and the, as you say two new tackles you don't know what you're going to get there now both of the tackles that they signed are pretty pretty high end like you know they're not like chumps but and they're both experienced but you know, these guys are dynamic, growing players. And hey, Hutchinson's obviously in year two who could make a major leap in terms of going from like a really good defensive end to like Pro Bowl, All Pro, like, you know, potentially defensive player of the year type guy. And then they've added in the, in the defense in terms of guys like Jack Campbell to the linebacker core. But I think it, the biggest thing is the defensive backs. They, you know, they brought in so many defensive backs. They brought in Cam Sutton. They brought in CJ Gardner Johnson. They brought in Brian Branch in the draft. They brought in Emmanuel Mosley, though he's a, a little bit uh, questionable for this game. Basically, completely remade secondary and the secondary was basically the reason that defense sucked for most of last year but even towards the end of last year you saw Aaron Glenn get that defensive backfield together so it depends how long you think those guys can hold up against Patrick Mahomes and all the kind of magic bullshit he's going to do and whenever you have a choice between Patrick Mahomes and anyone else you're probably going to pick Patrick Mahomes although you have a very strong reason to do so um so I think on that like defensive front it'll be interesting to see how much the defense like hopefully the Detroit defense has improved it may get beaten up by Mahomes, but that's what happens to pretty much everyone, so I wouldn't get too much there. But they will probably do the kind of too high shell, you know, make Mahomes do it the hard way, slow their game down. They don't do that, they'll probably get beaten up very quickly, so just don't do that, basically. But I think they have enough impact there to at least uh, make life difficult for the offense there, obviously, which is lacking uh, as many high-level talents outside Kelsey um, to help out Mahomes. Uh, but that was true last year, and he managed to survive. As for the other side of the ball, as you said, Connor, like the defensive line for the Chiefs is going to be very treadbare without Chris Jones there. He's not just an impact in terms of an interior defensive lineman, but they've used him a lot on the edge. You know, obviously, he's got such a great gate get-off. He can make a major impact from that position as well. And, you know, the secondary is, you know, overperforms the kind of investment that they made in terms of draft picks, but it's not an elite secondary. I'd say it's a good secondary, but not an elite secondary. But they are going up against a Detroit team, which, while its offensive line basically means that they will almost certainly be able to do things, particularly in the run game, there aren't that many weapons to worry about. Amon Ra 
is like the obviously the central passing weapon but outside that it's guys like Marvin Jones or Sam Laporta at tight end it's really really thin until potentially Jamison Williams come back after from suspension later in the season so I think this is a team that will want to ground and pound and control the line of scrimmage and kind of make life difficult and chew up that clock and stuff like that and then Goff can make an impact in terms of play action and stuff like that and obviously what you see with this offense uh, from the OC is they are very good at doing multiple things from the same formations from the same looks and they'll need to match maximize that to kind of put up the large amount of points that they will probably require uh, to win this game so I think given those relative weaknesses and strengths we could be in for a really exciting game and I think just that advantage on both lines means that the Detroit Lions are definitely competitive and definitely have a chance but you know as I said Patrick Mahomes uh, it's hard to bet against them yeah no so we've gone for uh, Kansas City across the board there next up we have Cincinnati at Cleveland god this will be a tough <laughs> a tough uniform matchup on the eyes so obviously Coming into this, big question is going to be, is Burrow back to full health? He had the calf injury in the preseason, but it all points towards him playing. It all points to him looking quite healthy. Watson, obviously, is what Cleveland have sold their souls for, what they're hanging their hat on to hope that this is going to work this year. So will he be good? Will he be bad? Which version of him are we going to see? Is it going to be the guy from the six games last year? Or is it the guy from, I don't know, three and a half years ago when he was halfway decent? Cleveland's got some all right weapons there. They've still got Chubb in the backfield. They've got some decent pieces on defense. This is a Cincinnati team that has gotten pretty good, though, overall. Like, where there were previously holes in this defense, I think the defensive backs that they've got in look actually better and hopefully, you know, would, would put up more of a stuff like Cincinnati defensive line. I'm not so sold on, particularly like if they can get the run game going, that might be Cleveland's route in this game. But like on paper, if you look at the offense of Cincinnati and you think the weapons they have, if Burrow is healthy, maybe some question marks at running back, but like just even just the passing game, they have so many weapons there that they should be able to put up points and their defense, particularly defensive backfield, should hopefully be able to do enough to slow down the Cleveland attack. Like I said, there's just a big question mark over Watson. I want to expect him to be terrible because he hasn't been good of late, but that's also, I know that some of that is called by the fact that I just don't like him as a person. I think it's a game where... There's a fair amount more uncertainty than maybe we would have expected a month ago. I think in particular for Cincinnati, obviously with Burrow being, it seems to be healthy, he'll probably play in this game based on everything we're hearing. But will he be fully healthy? Will he be able to escape in the pocket against a, a solid uh, pass rushing core? Obviously with Miles Garrett there, who's obviously one of the best pass rushers in the league. They signed Zedaria Smith, Okoroko in the off season, be kind of hit the compliments to him. And obviously a lot of attention will be on Miles Garrett. Their interior of their line with Tomlinson and Elliot, Danica and Shelby Harris is okay, I would say. The the back end is pretty solid. So it's not a bad defense. There's plenty of names there, but it's a question of whether Cleveland can actually maximize that talent and be a genuine force and stop, obviously, you know, Joe Burrow and probably the best three receivers potentially outside of Seattle in the league. And so you have a situation there that if Burrow is fully healthy, then I would imagine that they will have the advantage there, but that it will still be difficult and take a lot of time because the Cincinnati offensive line is certainly not as bad as it was a couple of years ago, but it's certainly not the strength that they would like it to be, given all of the money they've, they've thrown and picks they've thrown over the last few years. I think the biggest question really is on the other side. Deshaun Watson last year came back and was terrible. Uh, not just as a human being but as a quarterback he just didn't look ready for football at all and you can go well he hadn't played for two years and he came in in the middle of the season and all blah 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 but someone who hasn't played in two years who obviously used to be a great quarterback like 
can they come back and be a genuine force in the league? Like there has been guys who've done that through, like mostly through injury situations like Peyton Manning, even Andrew Luck came back, you know, briefly and still looked good before he retired. But Deshaun Watson has not shown us that yet. And what we saw last year was genuinely terrible. Now, thankfully, Kevin Stefanski has a good offensive line. He has an elite running back in Nick Chubb. So they should be able to take the pressure off Watson and be able to run the ball. But I imagine that Cincinnati will be ready and willing to do that. And with DJ Reader, they do have the capacity to stop the run uh, Cincinnati uh, he kind of clogs up the lanes and make things difficult there and so you'd wonder that given Cincinnati's loss of say two safeties in the offseason that's kind of the biggest change compared to last year that's kind of the glue of their defensive backfield with the the cornerbacks are fine but they're, they're not elite can Deshaun Watson in compare with these you know solid weapons like Amari Cooper he's getting up there but he's still probably just about a wide receiver one but then outside that's like Donovan Peoples-Jones, David Njoku, Elijah Moore, uh, like uh, Cedric Tillman the rookie like it's there's no one there right now that you can go oh that guy can definitely win one-on-one that guy's an elite guy who can like Deshaun Watson can trust like he did DeAndre Hopkins back in the day so I think it'll be really interesting to see where he is in his development I don't think he'll be as bad as last year but he needs to be a lot better than last year if the Cleveland Browns are going to be a relevant factor in the AFC hunt given the strength of competition in this division and in the AFC in general and I think the Cincinnati Bengals like with a few knocks are a good temperature check for where this Cleveland Browns team is given our probably moral beliefs we're probably just going to assume it's for the worst but based on the actual facts in the field like they do have enough there to potentially be a solid team uh, potentially a playoff team uh, but this is a huge test in week one to see where they are in that road. I think this game, the two big question marks on either side is the is the quarterback. Obviously, there's been some changes elsewhere. I mean, Fizzle talked about the the Bengals secondary, which I do think is a big shift. Jesse Bates, in particular, was a big part of that and how they move beyond it. But in terms of this particular game, the the question I guess is firstly is the Joe Burrow injury situation. How healthy is he? How risky is it to bring him back week one when he's not healthy? We saw, for example, we, we want to think about what happened to Josh Allen last year, where the Bills kind of kept playing him despite the fact that he was slightly injured and tried to protect him and and ultimately he didn't quite have the season he wanted to and given that the Bengals are so reliant on Burrow as a force uh, you know you'd almost hope that, that that they will ease him back in as slowly as possible but I guess that's a very hard thing to do when your your franchise quarterback says he's ready to go week one uh, and, and you put him out there so you you got to have faith that the, the Bengals know what they're doing in terms of that and if anything else I've, I've learned to have faith in this Bengals coaching staff they seem to be a lot better than anyone ever thought uh, that they would be on the other side then as we've talked about the watson thing i do think there probably is something in the sense that this guy came in completely cold without a preseason into an into a new team and was trying to adjust and a team that never really had an offensive identity or couldn't quite figure out what it was offensively to the the entirety uh, of of the last few years uh, ever since baker mayfield got in so now that they've had you know that they've they've had their preseason that they've been able to sit down and talk about what needs to be done Stefanski uh, and, and, and Van Pelt the OC have been able to sit down with Watson and come up with some sort of game plan they've, they've got a they've got decent receivers Cooper they brought in Elijah Moore Donovan Peoples-Jones has his moments obviously they're going to be leaning on Chubb an awful lot as the the running back but you feel I got to feel that the Browns are going to have to have more of a game plan than they had last year which has only got to be good for them in terms of, of, the, of the football thing so I have to imagine Watson's going to be better the question I guess is is he back to an elite I don't think he's ever going to justify the money certainly I think the the, the money was being paid for it was just desperate 
desperation more than anything else. I don't think that Deshaun Watson exists anymore, if, if he ever did at that level. But certainly we'll see a better one. Will that be enough to, to trouble this Bengals, who have a pretty solid defense, uh, uh, mostly? Uh, they seem to be able to, to hold up. Obviously, this is a divisional match, so the two teams will know each other very well, so that's got all that dynamic in it as well. But for me, the question is, is Watson, how much better will Watson be than last year? How good will will Burrow be given his injury? And I think those how those two questions pan out decides this game for me. If Watson has had a has, has clicked into this thing, the Browns are going to be could be a force this year. Uh, if not, then I, I can't see them doing very much, just relying on on Nick Chubb. And for the Bengals, if if Burrow is healthy and happy, this Bengals team can beat anybody. If he's not, then they they will struggle, even though they have great receivers or whatever. I mean, the Burrow magic is such a big part of what they do offensively. So for me, that is the thing I'm going to be watching: is is what can we expect from these quarterbacks week one? What kind of faith, either in terms of injury or performance, do the coaches have in these players, and is it justified? Yeah, so we've gone for Cincinnati across the board on that one. Uh, next up, uh, finally, a, a slightly less interesting matchup. Houston at Baltimore. We've gone for Baltimore across the board on this one. Changes at defensive line, but this is up against a Houston offensive line that obviously is a lockdown guy in Tunsil, but a couple of question marks outside of that. Lamar's been paid. He should be happy, hopefully, but they're working in a new system. He's got new weapons, so what's that going to look like? They've got a couple of running backs there that they're kind of still trying to shake out fully because at this point, given the injury concerns of the majority of them, you can't rely on anyone to be there the whole time Stroud's coming into this game probably with a tough matchup on his hands he's going to get harassed they have a decent backfield in Baltimore defensive backfield in Baltimore and there's some question marks maybe over over his weapons there as well although they have had some success with guys like Nico Collins and that the tail end last year kind of catching a lot of stuff but this feels like a bit of a one-sided matchup Houston are not a team that we think are real competitors this year I think the talent differential will be enough for the Ravens, although there are a number of questions about the Ravens, i.e. is Lamar back and motivating these two new coordinators? For example, defensively, there's going to be a big shift away from Martindale. But I think these are questions the Ravens are going to have to answer in later weeks. I can't imagine the Texans, especially with a, a new head coach, new rookie quarterback. Those things are going to take a few weeks to, to iron out properly. I can't see them competing with the Ravens week one. Yeah, and I think this is mostly interesting for what it augurs for the season. Obviously, Lamar in a completely new system, completely new OC, lots of new offensive weapons like OBJ and, say, Flowers. And, uh, you know, the running backs are coming back. Uh, the offensive line's a little bit up in the air as well. Like, the defense is similarly uncertain for the Baltimore Ravens. They've just basically kind of lost most of their veteran presence, which has kind of been a hallmark of their defense in recent years. And they're they're playing a lot more young players, particularly in the front four. And then for Houston, it, it, it hopefully this is the final year of it, but basically their entire roster from, from top to bottom is just new guys all along it. And there are obviously, you know, sparks of hope there. But I think the fact their offensive line, which should have been a strength, has been so hit by injuries in the offseason. Kenyon Green's gone down. Titus Howard missed the first few weeks. Juice Scruggs is injured. Uh, Cousinberry. So you're talking about three to four starters in the offensive line. Yes, they still have Laramie Tunsil, so it's not, uh, you know, screwed and Shaq Mason was traded for so it's not the worst offensive line but it's nowhere near the one strength that they really needed to make the rest of this offense work like I just don't see an offense with Damian Pierce and Nico Collins being like it's top two weapons being able to do enough against such a well-organized well-coached team like Baltimore so definitely advantage Baltimore but I think what you want to see from the Texans at least sparks of hope that CJ Stroud is not going to be a bust he can kind of hit the ground running and not uh, you know be throwing a bunch of picks against obviously a defense which which can be opportunistic when it when it's on its form. 
Yeah, so like I said, Baltimore across the board there. Next up's my pick of the week, Jacksonville, Indianapolis. I'm just excited to see these two teams. It's not necessarily going to be the best game. I just kind of, they're, they're teams with intriguing storylines for me. So obviously we saw Jacksonville kind of rounded form at the tail end of last year. Lawrence started to show up really nicely. Uh, they now add Ridley is back from his gambling suspension. So it's another weapon to add into there. Uh, and I'm intrigued to see what he's going to look like having taken a year out because he was quite good before that. So that'll be exciting and to see what their defense looks like as well. There's also some questions marks as well in their backfield as to how that's going to shake out because there's some competition there I think between Tank and uh, and and the uh, starter so that should be interesting to watch out. From the Annapolis side look I'm not expecting much out of the Colts this year but I'm just very intrigued to see what Richardson looks like in an actual NFL game and not just in preseason. He was very exciting at times and very infuriating at times during the preseason stuff so just to see what that's like and like you know a, a game that matters really then obviously the Jonathan Taylor stuff is ongoing so he's not going to be there so who's going to shake out of that backfield there's a couple of players that are, are looking at that it's a Jacksonville defense that while looking better at the tail end of last year isn't a world beater riding stretch of the imagination so like if we could see Richardson get moving on the ground a little bit cause some issues get a little bit of play action stuff happening it could be really really exciting because this is a defense that has allowed points in the past to, to to teams like that so two teams with interesting narratives i think it'll be interesting to see them go up against each other and see how it plays out so i'm just intrigued to to, to, to see how this one goes as i said though i think we've gone jacksonville across the board dismiss the colts so it's week one you don't really dismiss anyone but like the colts they have all of these holes on, on their roster. They do have a lot of issues, but they have all of these things which only a few years ago would have been strengths. So on the offense, I think everyone's excited to see what will Anthony Richardson look like early on in the season. Obviously such a raw prospect, only had one year at the college level, but a super dynamic athlete. He's a guy, if he gets outside the pocket, could kill you with a deep pass, or he can get you by uh, running for 20, 30, 40 yards. You could see maybe not an offense that's necessarily the most consistent, but has the elements to potentially be very explosive behind Richardson's just very unique blend of uh, arm and uh, physical and athletic talent and he's a guy who's not someone who just gets out like he doesn't he's not skittish he likes to stay in the pocket he wants to play from the pocket but I imagine he'll probably have to take some opportunities to do that like the top receivers Michael Pittman that's fine I suppose I think you might see some surprising actual production for guys like Alec Pierce or Josh Downs downfield I think Richard's going to be boom and bust, right? I think there's going to be some plays and they can go, wowee, and there's going to be some plays where you're like, Jesus, can you just make a simple thing? And behind an offensive line, which was so disappointing last year, your hope then is that they can get back to where they were. Obviously, you have names like Quentin Nelson and Braden Smith and Ryan Kelly. They should be okay, but last year they were so terrible. Maybe they'd also be helped by not having to protect like a, a statue quarterback like they were with Matt Ryan last year. As for their defense, it was a very one of the biggest disappointments last year. So there's lots of names here again, like guys like Shaquille Leonard and Forrest Buckner and Kenny Moore, who you'll be hoping will stay healthy and be able to be, you know, get back to where they were in recent years. But last year they were very disappointing. But obviously with everything changed over there, their hope is that the defense can get back there. But you know, I think any team that's gonna start like Deion Jackson as they're starting running back and you know Michael Pittman as their wide receiver one and has these holes in their defensive uh, backfield is going to struggle and I think obviously Jacksonville coming off the end of last year where they genuinely turned into an AFC powerhouse and obviously they got the, the you know very fun win over the Chargers as well in the playoffs I think everyone is expecting them to take that next step up but there are some questions there right like obviously Calvin Ridley's come in the hype is going through the roof will he genuinely turn into that wide receiver one option to complement what is a really good room in terms of wide receiver two type 
talent. The offensive line, obviously you're going to miss Cam Robinson the first two seasons. Can they protect Lawrence make sure that he has the time to be effective? And Lawrence's mechanics have always been a little bit questionable. The hope is that his mechanics will take that next step. That what, kind of like what we saw from Josh Allen a few years ago in terms of just being more consistent in terms of accuracy. But I think the biggest issue for Jacksonville is just their defense has been incredibly disappointing. They've invested so many high draft picks in this defense in recent years and yet guys like Trayvon Walker who is the number one overall pick last year, Josh Allen, Devin Lloyd, they just have not lived up to their reputation and so you're going to end up probably starting uh, some guys or guys are going to get time who you wouldn't expect to be there. So I think if their defense doesn't take at least a step up to being average, this is a team that's likely to get into a lot of shootouts and not perhaps live up to the expectations that we have right now for a team that we, we kind of hope or think may get into the kind of top table of the AFC but in a division which obviously has teams which are in a much more rebuilding stage like Indianapolis you would still expect them to be able to get these wins uh, within the division and, and so you would expect in week one that's what will happen. It's a big season for the Jags it's going to be a very strange situation for them to be in a position where they're favourites in most of the games that they play and that that's a tag that can have psychological weight upon it and for someone like Trevor Lawrence it's it's that need now to to prove that he can make that next step up he last season he definitely in the back half of last season definitely showed he could step up from you know raw rookie talent to being a good NFL level quarterback but people he wasn't drafted number one to be a good quarterback he was drafted number one to be the elite quarterback that everyone believes that he will be and I think it's we need to start seeing that now and he's definitely got the talent around him adding Ridley to what was already I think quite a, a a talented wide receiver room, Kirk and Zay Jones, and you can add people like Evan Ingram and Travis Etienne as, as kind of pass-catching tight ends and, and pass-catching running backs. So I think that there's a lot of talent there, but in that, that specific part uh, of the field, but as, as Fizzle says, they maybe haven't had you know the return on investment that they've looked for in terms of the defense and maybe maybe elsewhere so it's a big season for the Jags are trying to take that step up this is their division to lose and you would expect them week one you've got to make a statement and certainly as a, a Colts team that is very much in transition I mean they're maybe the, the definition of a team in transition they're transitioning away from the Reich Matt Ryan era whatever the hell that was into something new Shane Steichen new no offensive coordinator obviously Anthony Richardson being the, the big question mark i can't imagine much like the texans i can't imagine the colts can be ready to go week one especially given the whole johnson taylor stuff has been you know swirling around the the office for the past few weeks that that's going to make everybody a little bit unhappy so the jags have to be considered to be more of the complete package right now and should win this based on who they are and what they expect to be but yeah maybe richardson will do one or two clever things but i can't imagine he's gonna be able to put together a complete nfl game quite yet Next up, the worst game of the week, Arizona-Washington. We've gone for Washington across the board. Who's going to start a quarterback for Arizona and who really cares? They have been out in the media saying that they do intend to play Kyler Murray this year if he's back, so we'll see. But yeah, this is just going to be horrible. Washington will be intriguing to look at just to see how their offense looks. Obviously, they brought in new offensive coordinators, so they're kind of intriguing to see how that works. They've been talking up Howell quite a bit in the media, so see if he can start off well. This is a relatively talent-free Arizona defense. Like, there's a couple of players like Buda Baker and that stuff there, but like overall, it's not much. Washington also are hoping to get their defense going. We talked about Jacksonville investing a lot in the defensive side. Like, on paper, this Washington defensive line should be 
incredible. It's got a load of young first round talent in it and it hasn't really lived up to that. So let's see if they can get something going this week. They'll be against an inexperienced quarterback regardless of who is going to be playing for them. I can't really see past Washington winning this game because outside of the fact that they are a better team, Arizona also definitely, as we've said, look to be wanting to lose as many games as possible this year. So uh, yeah, Washington all the way for me. Yeah, like I think Washington, we kind of some people have them as a dark horse this year. We just want to see the seed that they can just put up a solid game if Sam Howell can be an effective quarterback against you know basically a preseason level defense. To be frank, and that their defense can just get the pressure on Clayton Tune or, or Josh Dobbs, whoever's starting a quarterback. As for Arizona, I think their best that their fans can hope for is that they can just show life, that they show competitive spirit, and that they actually play for the full sixty minutes. But this is a team which is in a very ugly position. You could very have a very very long season ahead of them. For Washington, though, a chance to get on the on the right foot and probably the easiest uh, matchup this week. This game is. If you're interested in this game, it's just because you want to see what Washington are like. You want to see what the this Sam Howell, Eric Bieniemy thing, and uh, is there anything there? You want to see if this defense is living up to the hype. I mean, I think the defense, the Washington defense, is the only unit in this game that it can't be described as competent straight out the gate week one. Even if they don't necessarily live up to their reputation, they're still probably going to be good enough. Whereas the Cardinals are just a mess all across the board. At least the commanders have a direction of travel that they're in, even if offensively we're not quite sure if they're going to get there. So, yeah, and especially uh, the Cardinals. I mean, they're, you know, we should talk about there being penalties for for tanking or whatever. I mean, it's a disgrace. If I, I can't imagine there are people who would be paying tickets to watch team play like it's a joke. it's, it's it really insulting is. to your season ticket holders is what it is like yeah it is it is uh, next up, and that's why we've gone Washington across the board there. Next up, we have uh, the mid-bowl, Carolina at Atlanta. So these are two teams, kind of transition periods for both of them at different stages. I, Me and Ronan have gone for Atlanta and Sean's gone for Carolina in this one. I'm excited to see the Atlanta stuff. I'm excited to see Bijan Robinson. They've got a lot of high-quality talent in there. Like, are they going to be able to get Ritter to do what they want I don't know I'm still not sold on him and the Carolina defensive line is pretty good uh, there was a news story doing the rounds this week about the Kings ransom that was being offered to them for Brian Burns and they turned down and I think as good as he is they are crazy given what was being offered to them last year this is a, an interesting one I think no one's expecting Carolina to be terrible but I'm not sure they're going to be up and ready to go straight away at this point. Their offensive line is a concern as well. Atlanta, I think, like I said, we're in year three, I think, under the head coach now. They seem to have turned a corner in their development. They're going to have a real run-heavy, smash-mouthy kind of approach. And I'm in on that. I think I think it'll be fun. I'm looking forward to watching it. They're at home, so I think they're going to be able to take the win here against the inexperienced Carolina team. The reason I'm picking against you guys, I, I do think the Falcons are probably the more talented team, and I do think i had them winning the division overall and i'm i'm pretty happy with them and i think once they think click into gear and the Bijan experience kicks off i think the falcons could be an interesting team to watch i just have a vibes idea about the panthers it's going to be you know week one frank reich rookie quarterback you know a couple of veteran receivers who have things to prove you know Thielen, dj shark and stuff i just feel that they're going to come in with a momentum and they're going to come in with a yeah we're going to do really good and they're going to win week one but then maybe struggle to get anything beyond that and there's, there's no real rationality behind it i just feel that the panthers they could start well given that they, they have pieces in place that 
will give them an exciting, a reason to be excited for the season starting, the, the number, number one overall pick, a new head coach, et cetera, et cetera. So maybe that just gives me an edge, whereas the Falcons, I think, in the long run would be the more reliable team. But this Falcons team, they're not exactly world beaters anyway, so I don't think it's going to take much to beat them, and maybe a, a Carolina team that has their tails up might be enough in week one. I'm almost hit the opposite, Sean. I kind of think that the Falcons will start off better this season and the Carolina will come towards the end of the season. But I, that, that just reflects, I think, the fact that both these teams are, are fairly uncertain. I think we both have they both have things which you can like and they both have like still concerns there i think the reason i favor them in week one is that i think the currently defensive line has talents on it but it's never quite lived up i think to the the value people put on it particularly on the run defense although Derek brown has got better over each year but i think just this smash mouth and obviously being much further along approach from arthur smith i think in week one they'll be able to impose their will rack up those yards and kind of see something that they kind of had towards the end of last year and that should hopefully give desmond ritter the time he needs to like do some play action stuff to drake london or kyle pitts and i think they are in a much better position with ritter than they were with marcus Mariota to start last year and they have a solid offensive line so i think he'll be given uh, some time i think the other big thing in favor Atlanta is they spent a lot of money on veterans to kind of bulk up their defense it was pretty poor last year so Calais Campbell, Onyemata, uh, people like Bud Dupree now they're all older and they're all veterans so you don't know exactly what you're going to get out of them to be honest given where they are in their respective careers but I think that's enough against the Carolina D offense which is you know there was a lot of pressure on uh, Bryce Young in the uh, preseason that Jets game in particular stands out as being particular bad and if he's getting hit every single down or every every second down I just think it's gonna be a much more of a struggle for him to adjust to the NFL early on in the season so it's really up to whether that offensive line just looked a little bit off early on in the season that was their starters in preseason by the way so it's not just a preseason backup issue if that offensive line is as weak as it looked during the preseason then this will be a really tough start to their season with the hope that maybe they can get better as they go forward but like Carolina and Atlanta both have enough talent to potentially win this game but I just have a feeling Atlanta are just a little bit more mature and ready to go in week one compared to where Carolina are right now. Uh, next up, we have Tampa Bay at Minnesota. We've gone from Minnesota across the bay. Flores, can he elevate this Minnesota defense to hit better heights because they kind of were a bit a bit porous last year? But this is a Tampa Bay offense that has a lot of questions. Their offensive line isn't looking great. Quarterback isn't looking great. They do have the weapons, and I believe I saw a report there today that they apparently have gotten to a fairly decent place in negotiations with Mike Evans as well, that they might be able to actually lock him down for a bit longer term because he's going into the last year of his contract. So that, like, there will be weapons looking to perform, but yeah, I'm just, I'm not sold on the Tampa Bay offense at all this year. The Minnesota offense, I'm not saying it's it's incredible. I don't really love Kirk Cousins. Uh, I don't know if any of our listeners will be able to parse that from previous conversations we've had about him. <laughs> they do have Justin Jefferson. They do have a less powerful, but still decent enough run game. They have other weapons in the past game as well. Like this is... A big year for Cousins as well. Uh, Cousins is pretty much undefeated in contract years because he always knows that's when he gets his money next. So I'm sure he will do Kirk Cousins' bullshitty stuff, do a mediocre game. I'd say they've definitely got enough to beat the Tampa Bay team here. Yeah, he'll be looking to pump up those yardage statistics late in the game and stuff because he knows that that'll be what might get him paid next year. But yeah, I I, I just don't see how this Tampa Bay team... It's quite talent efficient at multiple spots. It doesn't really have a cohesive identity on offense. And there's already going to be like question marks about, oh, is this quarterback our quarterback for the season or not? Or what are we going to do here? So yeah, like I, yeah, I can't really see past Minnesota 
Although I don't think this would be a particularly enjoyable game. Like there's still enough leftovers from the previous era. It's basically the era, the Tom Brady era. The Tampa Bay have enough talent to be competitive, but it just doesn't feel like it's coming together. The offensive line, as you said, with Ryan Jensen now basically probably retired. That's a huge step down for them. And the rest of the offensive line outside Tristan Wirth just isn't really that exciting. Uh, such a strength a few years ago now may potentially even a weakness like Baker Mayfield will have Mike Evans and Chris Godwin to throw to so it's not a disaster but Baker Mayfield you know very very up and down very very predictable in terms of what he's good at and what he's bad at so you would imagine that uh, you know with a new DC that you know Minnesota will be somewhat reactive and be able to shut him down now, now, Minnesota's defense is not great so I don't expect them to be able to shut down Tampa Bay completely but I think given their relative offensive talent obviously Justin Jefferson Jordan Allison brought in as a rookie and you know potentially with Alexander Madison they have a run game there TJ Hawkinson at tight end I think you know they know what they're doing you know it's really just Adam Thielen being replaced with Jordan Addison you would expect them to be as productive as they were last year and put up a decent number of points and probably enough points to, to get this done even against the defense in Tampa Bay which has talents but which has holes in between of those talents as kind of the old era uh, slowly uh, kind of falls away but yeah I wouldn't dismiss Tampa Bay completely but yeah the direct I think any Baker Mayfield team is always gonna be tough to, to pick these days yeah, I can dismiss the books. I think they're a combination of old guys and talentless guys and uh, yep. not an awful lot in between those two things. Whereas the Vikings are, as much as I hate them, they do have a very good you know, talent pool in terms of the receiving core. And I think Alexander Madison is, is a pretty good running back to, to put him in there. Obviously, their defense is, is garbage, but I can't, I can't see Baker doing an awful lot of damage therein. Certainly the Vikings will face harder challenges, I think, than week one. They should they should get this one quite comfortably because I, I just don't see the Bucks doing an awful lot of anything this year. San Francisco at Pittsburgh up next. Uh, battle of the defenses, I suppose. Me and Sean have gone for San Fran and Ronan's going for Pittsburgh. This is obviously a quite a talented Pittsburgh team that looked very tasty in the preseason. Their offense seemed to be clicking an awful lot more and their defense last year when everyone was on the field and healthy were hitting at an extremely high rate. Uh, I remember watching their opening game last year against the Bengals where they just kept picking them off. So I would expect to see some excitement here because Brock Purdy is going to be the starter. So we know that he massively outperformed his draft position. He looked good last year, but he didn't look like world-beatingly good, but he looked very solid in a scheme that helps quarterbacks to perform well in that in the San Francisco offense. Can this Pittsburgh defense figure out ways to cause him issues? Will we see things like Purdy hitting a sophomore slump after the good year last year? Does he have more space to grow or not? Like I, I, I think there's a lot of interesting things that will be seen here. This Pittsburgh offense, they have a lot of weapons. They have maybe a question mark at what the ceiling of their quarterback is. But they do have a solid run game. They've got a decent O-line. Like They've got a lot of young pieces that were clicking well in the preseason. But what you can take from a preseason, I don't know. I expect it to be better than last year. I'm giving the edge to San Fran in this one just because I think there are more finished product. I would say maybe Bosa not being in there might cause a bit more of a of a 50-50 in my head. But yeah, I think Pittsburgh, I could definitely see winning the game if everything clicks right for them. But I think I've seen it from San Francisco. I've yet to see it from Pittsburgh to be winning games at this level. Beware the preseason hype. I mean, it certainly seems that the the hype train has gone on to the Steelers in a big way the last few weeks. Obviously, the Steelers have a very strong 
defense. They've got very good coaches. I just I don't know if I can yet trust this offense, even though they've looked pretty good in preseason until I see it in a real-life NFL game. I mean, it's it's just a whole load of mediocre talent stuck in together and hoping that it will somehow work out. And I have to see it before I will believe it. Whereas the 49ers, I've been talking them up all summer and in in every pod they've come up with i think this is their year i think it's all clicked into place they've got talent on both sides of the ball they've got great coaches they have okay the the question marks over purdy i suppose are maybe the one thing that's left with them and and maybe the the will nick bosa eventually turn up kind of thing but to me there's no reason to think this team won't destroy most teams they come up against and certainly will be better than a team like pittsburgh which has some talent but not an awful lot of talent maybe where it counts uh, and until I see this, the Steelers' offense step up in a big way, I just can't pick them over a, a Niners team this talented. You know, I think it's perfectly fair to pick the 49ers. I think it's probably the, the, the favorite by the bookies. But uh, I feel like the Steelers, you know, obviously you can talk about preseason hype, but this is also a Mike Tomlin coach team. There's a very safe floor below which you don't expect the Steelers to get worse than. And I think based on the development that they've done over the last couple of years, that they may potentially be a significant bit above their kind of floor, which they've kind of been at the last couple of years. I think in particular, their defensive line, you know, with Highsmith and TJ Watt there, you know, I would expect that they'll be able to get pressure onto Brock Purdy and of course Brock Purdy is a huge question mark not just because obviously you know I'm sure everyone's been studying his tape all off season but obviously coming off a pretty significant injury right he looked okay in the preseason but that was a pretty significant injury pretty significant surgery so will he be fully back both mentally and physically when we get into week one and there's a huge amount of pressure to get that now he has obviously a lot of weapons like Ayuk and Debo Samuel and George Kittle and CMC and you got Trent Williams the best uh, left tackle in the league but there are questions at like the right tackle so you know you would imagine that the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers be probing for the weaknesses that exist now in that offensive line potentially and the Steelers themselves invested in their offensive line they got Isaac Simulu from um, the the, uh, the Philadelphia Eagles so you know they've been slowly building that offensive line up and that's probably if their offensive line just takes another step up I could just see their offense just getting that little bit more reliable are they ever going to turn into like you know the Chiefs or the Bills or whatever like that probably not but when you have a well-coached team under Mike Tomlin and a defense that has this much potential for big plays with guys like tj watt and minka fitzpatrick in there and you know get someone in the, in the draft like joey porter jr you know i think some really interesting things could happen so i you know i think i'm just maybe it's a little bit early for them to be getting like a scalp like the san francisco 49ers but i think you know the steelers they're a good team they're well coached they're at home so i'm going to give them the, the edge here but uh, it's very very close for me yeah next up tennessee at new orleans i've gone for tennessee and you boys have gone for new orleans obviously they've got a a new driver under center car is ready to go but the question is can this offense get firing they have brought in jimmy graham to play tight end they're really going for the man do you remember how good things used to be in new orleans and the no changes uh they brought in jimmy graham they've got some weapons there they're facing some suspensions as well so they're not going to be with uh with, with a full strength offense coming into it they do have a relatively talented defense although it hasn't performed quite as well in the last year or so. So I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued. The Tennessee Titans, I feel bad picking them because I don't like them. Like, I don't like anything about them really, but yeah. Derek Henry probably has about a half a season left of like prop thread left on those tires. So I would expect him to be able to get something going because I don't top end rate the New Orleans defense. The additions that they've made uh, of New Hopkins and stuff will give them a little bit more dynamism in the passing game, provided that he's not off a cliff entirely. This comes down to essentially, I don't trust New Orleans at all. 
I don't think Derek Carr was good beforehand. I don't imagine he's going to be significantly better here with less good wide receivers and less good supporting cast than he had up in up in Vegas. They are getting, when you're talking about, Sean, Pittsburgh getting the hype train, New Orleans have been getting the hype train for the last month or so, and I don't really understand it. Yes, it's a weak division, but like I don't see how keep things the same, bring in players who should have been retired two or three years ago, and then add Derek Carr suddenly makes you a division winner, versus Tennessee, who are bored but we'll get the job done, I think. Neither of these teams are anything particularly to get excited about. The, the Titans are about three years past their peak, and the, the Saints, this current Saints team, has never really discovered or figured out who they, they were. And I don't think Derek Carr necessarily changes that. But I, as much as you don't trust the Saints, I just the Titans, I think they're incredibly talent deficient, right? Especially on the offensive side. It's, it's Aside from Derrick Henry, who is definitely past it, they really have almost nobody either at quarterback, in the talent positions, or even on the line that you can say, this guy this guy is a good player to have uh, on your team. Now, they've got some better pieces on the defense, and obviously they've got a, a defensive-minded uh, head coach in Vrabel who, who gets things done, and they've got people like Simmons and Bayard and such like. Uh, so the defense is probably going to be quite strong, but I just struggle to see how this offense is going to do anything at all, especially if teams plan to stop Derrick Henry. And then what you're left with is trying to hope that Traylon Burks or Nick, Nick Westbrook Akine or, or, you know, the, the, the tight end whose name I can't quite pronounce is going to produce, you know, being thrown to by Tannehill or Will Levis or, or someone. It's just, to me, it just does not come together in any coherent way. Whereas the Saints, we can always kind of rely on the Saints to be of a certain, they're kind of like Steelers in the sense that they're just, they will always be of a level, right? There will always be a, a standard to which the Saints can reach. And I think Derek Carr is kind of of that standard. I don't think he's going to change much. Aside from maybe Chris Olave is but the one exciting player that they currently have. It'll be interesting to see what kind of season that he has. But I, I trust the Saints to produce to a certain minimum level. That I genuinely do not think the Titans have the talent level to reach this season. I think both these teams, we have, will probably have to take them seriously to some extent this year because they're in the two weakest divisions in the respective conferences and they'll probably still be in play to some extent. But neither of them feel like anywhere near the level to be like relevant in the kind of the big game of the Super Bowl, etc. Like, obviously, Tennessee are a very well-coached team under Vrabel. They still have Derrick Henry. They didn't trade him away. They still have Ryan Danahill. He still definitely looks better than the kind of two young pretenders they now have in their quarterback room. And obviously, DeAndre Hopkins provides them a little bit of spice. And it's hard to see their offensive line being worse than last year. They didn't make any improvements, but... Uh, really, but like you know, like the, the guys the last year were so past that it was pretty sad to be perfectly frank. And the defense under Rabel is always going to be a threat there, and they obviously have like elite players like Jeffrey Simmons to kind of create a floor for how bad the defense could possibly be. Now they're up against a pretty solid offensive line, so that means Derek Carr will have some chances to make big plays. And with Chris Olave there, you'd imagine that there should be a couple of big plays there, but I don't know if it'll be enough to to kind of be an exciting offense. So this kind of feels like it'll be an arm wrestle of a game. But I think New Orleans at home. Uh, we'll just edge it well, because of that talent deficiency. I think Tennessee, you know, they made some big splash plays like the Andre Hopkins to kind of make us believe it wasn't a full rebuild. But all of the early season like surgery that happened means that they're just a lesser team in so many positions that the Saints who are for some reason going ahead and trying to like win the NFC South to get knocked out in the wildcard round uh, will just about edge it for now. Okay, that takes us into the late window and Ronan's pick of the week, uh, Miami at the LA Chargers. 
Yeah, like kind of the battle of two AFC teams, high variance teams, high fun teams. You expect some high flying football from these two as they go up against each other. Obviously, with the Chargers, you now have the new OC uh, who will presumably, hopefully, unlock Justin Herbert and get him back to his uh, full powers. Uh, so, Kellen Moore, no pressure there. Just don't have your Austin Eckler as center, you should be okay. So, I think this is a situation where, look, I think there's a lot of expectation on the Chargers. Obviously, after last year, they made the playoffs, they did show some improvement towards the end of the year on defense uh, although obviously they got blown up in the second half so it's hard to take it too seriously and given how restrained it felt that offense was under Lombardi that I think just having a more dynamic play caller will get the best out of Justin Herbert like we saw in that first year so obviously they still have Austin Eckler they still have Keenan Allen they still have Mike Williams uh, they add in Quentin Johnson and um, their offensive line if healthy and says healthy is solid after all the investments they've made over the years so you know you expect them to be able to put up points and the defense which has been such a major disappointment under Brandon Staley the hope is that they can continue to kind of get out of literally the, the you know the, the basement which they have far too often been in this era of Chargers football but it's the Chargers so of course picking the Chargers is always just basically flipping a coin and seeing what happens but you know their hope is like Derwin James can stay healthy for the season that Sante Samuel continues to develop and that like Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack can just stay healthy for full season if that happens then they have reasons to be somewhat hopeful at least on the other hand Miami like they're equally explosive equally fun they obviously had a great year last year obviously got not had a playoffs with their quarterback uh, being disappointing and of course it's week one so your quarterback is probably healthy and will probably stay healthy for the entirety of week one hopefully and obviously Tua was a guy who while he has some very big deficiencies compared to a Justin Herbert his arm is obviously just a major quantum below that which means that like certain types of throws probably aren't possible under Tua you saw that his anticipation uh, particularly pre-snap is elite and with these two weapons and Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill you have two game breakers on the field at the same time and it's just really hard for any defense to fully compete with that I think the hope of Miami is that they can continue to run the ball and I think with the hope definitely hope of Miami is that they can get their left tackle back uh, Terran Armstead and he's not missing because they were hugely worse on, 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 on offense without Taron Armstead he's just a Jenga piece for that offensive line and obviously with Tua's injury concerns despite his obviously new judo tactics you definitely don't want to be seeing him getting hit too much as for their defense you know I think you know it was up and down last year there's certainly questions now and obviously their big play of didn't really work out because he got injured Jalen Ramsey and so their hope is that despite that they'll continue to make some additional development there's some decent words out there about Bradley Chubb Jalen Phillips is a young player who's still developing could make a breakout year and they have guys like Sean Elliott and Javal Holland at, at, at safety who could make an impact so there's nothing there to love but there's nothing there to hate and your just hope is that it's a kind of a mid uh, league to upper like top 10 maybe defense there and just let the explosiveness of the offense do the rest of the work but like look like both these teams are very wibbly wobbly I think both teams have huge Jenga pieces where if they lose one or two pieces the whole thing could fall apart very quickly but in week one I think seeing both these teams at their best going um, mano a mano getting up there with the points and really having a lot of fun could be a really fun game hopefully two teams which will still be relevant at the end of the season because I think any game involving these ones tends to be fun and often in uh, dumb uh, (laughs) stupid ways as well yeah, like it should be an exciting game. Like I said, these are two good offenses going up against each other. And that's kind of where I'm coming down at. So we've got the Chargers who are going to be at home, which is obviously going to be a bit of an advantage for them. Yeah. They do have a better defense overall at the moment versus the Miami one. Because like you said, similar to the quarterback stuff, they are currently healthy. So that's that's the positive they have. What shades be on this one is the Chargers are at home. Miami, I discussed last week about why I've now downgraded them from where I had them in the preseason rankings. 
their defensive backfield is essentially non-existent at the moment after the injury to, to Ramsey, which means, you know, if we do have a, a new, more vertical passing game for Justin Herbert to play with, he's going to be able to target Eli Apple as much as he wants. And that's always a pretty good spot to have. And on the Chargers defensive side, while maybe not the world's best backfield, they do have the likes of German James stuff in there. So they do have pieces that I think will be able to make the one or two moves that will be needed to do. I think this will be an exciting game. I think it'll be high scoring, but I just think the Chargers are in a better position right now and they're at home. So I'm kind of having the shade their way. Yeah, this game does have shootout kind of written all over it. Uh, I would expect the Chargers offense to, to get going. I think Kellen Moore is, is, in, is a good coach and I think he's going to do some interesting things with Justin Herbert. And obviously that the Dolphins have best to the rest receiving pair of wide receivers that you know the league probably has in terms of a, a, a WR1 and WR2. Uh, and obviously there's still questions over Tua and the, the questions over his viability in the long run. I just, I don't know. I, I, I did say, I think last week that I had a bit of a vibes about the Dolphins being being good. I, I think they've had a year to bet in this, this Tua Hill Waddle thing. They've hopefully figured out how to keep to a somewhat concussion free obviously they've got some injury issues on the defensive side but they still nonetheless have some good talent there i guess it does come down a little bit to trust i i feel that i can trust the dolphins to play to a certain standard whereas the chargers i mean i just i you just never know what charge is going to turn up and especially on the defensive side they, they have a tendency sometimes that entire defense is just go missing and give up 40 points and if, if this is going to be a shootout i just find it hard to trust the Chargers' defense to have any stops in a situation where we're going to have have a shootout and that to me is where it falls down i mean you have to think that the Chargers lost have lost shootouts to teams like the browns in the past simply because their defense is completely incapable of stopping anything i think both these teams are pretty close in terms of being talented but flawed probably both wildcard teams at the end of the season and maybe the chargers in in the kellen moore Herbert connection may have the bigger upside in the long run, but to me right now, I think you've got to trust that the two of will find a hill and he will find Waddle and he'll get things done in a high-scoring game. I'm very intrigued by this whole new narrative that two is a proper top-end quarterback. Obviously, the injuries and stuff caused him issues, but like our ongoing thing, all of while he was playing last year, the year before, and was like. Let's watch him play and let's watch him massively underthrow the ball to Tyreek Hill every time. Like, doesn't have the deep arm that he needs for the receiver set he has. Like, well, that's I don't think he's a top. Like, you know, when the top is now Patrick Mahomes or Justin Herbert, these kind of guys who are freaks of nature, being a solid quarterback who has good anticipation, gets the ball to the guys who are open, has good enough arm to make most of the throws. But yeah, he's not at that elite level. He's always going to have limitations of rent of being like genuinely world class. But I think he showed enough within the system in particular with McDaniel playing into his strengths of anticipation and giving him uh, quick throws. Like it's just a situation where I think he is being maximized within this and he's showing to be a good quarterback, maybe in that kind of Alex Smith, Kirk Cousins level. I don't think he's ever going to get beyond that to any major degree, but he's enough things there to be a good quarterback. But yeah, no, he's never going to be great. My bold my prediction, I, this game ends on a on a duck thrown by him overthrowing uh, uh, someone that's picked uh, off. And, and to be clear, like, you know, you don't have to be a great at quarterback to go to the Super Bowl. We've seen Jimmy G go to the Super Bowl. We've seen Jared Goff to the Super Bowl. But you do need to build an offense that accentuates his strengths and you need to have an offense that has great talents around him so if you know whenever the contract stuff comes up 
Tua is probably not a guy you want to give the full money to, so you can still build around him. But that's going to be an awkward conversation for the Dolphins when that happens. But for now, they have the room and freedom to to build and lead offense around him, and he's a great point guard to maximize what is uh, is available there. I agree. He's not elite, but he has the receivers that allow him to nonetheless put put up big numbers, mm. and I think that's what will happen in this game. Next up, Rams at Seattle, a slightly lower wattage game. Rams have three players, and that's <laughs> about it. Can Stafford. Aaron Donald and question mark Cooper Cup, who, as we said, is currently getting surgical suggestions for his legs. Hold it enough for McVeigh to be able to to manage to overthrow his divisional rivals, the Seahawks. This is obviously a Seahawks team that has Geno Smith, who played really well at the start of last year and cooled off a bit towards the tail end, but was overall very efficient and a big kind of comeback year for him. They have, uh, as I said in the previews, I think the best wide receiver group, well, at least the best starting wide receiver group in the league. They have two good running backs in place. They've got a decent line. They've got a slightly refreshed defense with some old faces and some new faces in there versus a Rams team that, like I said, has three or four name talents and everyone else is just churn, churn, churn. This could be a this could be a game where his top option, like we said, is like Van Jefferson or something. So uh, I think we're all going Seahawks in this one. Yeah, I think it's very hard to pick the Rams. Everything that could go wrong seems to be going wrong. They had a really poor preseason. Cooper Cup is now uncertain. Matt Stafford's coming off a major injury. He's talking about how he doesn't, none of the guys play cards anymore. So and they're on their TikToks and he can't quite yeah, make connections. It was, it with was them. very old man yells at cloud. Aaron Donald's a year off from saying he might retire. You're, you're wondering how invested he is and obviously coming off an injury himself. And yeah, like the only reason like the Rams, I wouldn't dismiss them 100%. It's just that McVeigh has tended to have Pete Carroll's number in terms of scheming, in terms of being able to maximize his talent and minimize the Seahawks talent. But given the huge gulf between a Seahawks team, which obviously has uh, DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, I don't think JSN will play, but you, know, you might say Bobo, Jake Bobo, who's my, who's my new Puna Ford, fun, fun name Seahawk. And with a defense, which has added in a bunch of names, like, um, you know, obviously they added in Bobby Wagner, they brought in some draft picks and, and, and free agents like Draymond Jones uh, kind of bring up that defense and hopefully take it from like you know middling to like above average potentially better um it's just hard to pick against the Seahawks here but you know just a small hint of doubt that McVeigh has tended to have it over uh, Pete Carroll but he is very much operating on very hard mode in this game yeah this was this was my I initially did pick the Rams and my logic was the Rams beat Seahawks in the NFC West's uh, rock paper scissors thing but I can't in all conscience stick with this pick because the Rams I just I give up at this point uh, they probably are going to be quite bad this season yeah and it was them that were offering the the big feed of picks to Carolina so it was going to be a couple of like top end first round draft picks that they were offering for Brian Burns. Next up, Philly at New England and discussing some of New England's problems there with a quarterback. We've all gone for Philly across the board here. Belichick's strength has always been his defense. He is very good at scheming things up. Even last year when they weren't doing fantastically well, he had probably the top end, toppest of the top end defenses that were doing the round. So can he shut down this Eagles scheme? Can he help the league by showing us what the solution to the one yard run is because <laughs> no one no one knows if anyone can figure it out it's bill right his last great contribution to the nfl would be to solve that problem <laughs> yeah to finally solve the like the jumbo package sneak yeah so look the the, the, the weaknesses in new england is obviously what's mac gonna look like under center you gotta hope the offense will look better because they've gotten rid of the genius boy who's now gone from offense coordinator to being a senior defensive consultant at another team they've got Ramondre stevenson should be good 
They don't really have much in the way of wide receiver though, so that's going to be a tough call for for Mac. Like it's going to if if there's a route for New England in this game, it's going to have to be the defense absolutely shutting them down. I don't know if they've got the talent at corner to do that on kind of a man-to-man basis outside. So they're going to have to get pressure up the middle. They're going to have to get sacks. They're going to have to get knockdowns. And this is an Eagles team with a multitude of weapons, depth at pretty much every position, a very good offensive line, good running backs. It's a tough ask. Like, as much as I'd like to think we'll be able to see some interesting defensive scheming things even if they do a great job it's hard to see this new england team scoring more than somewhere in the region of like 16 points right pat's offense has to be better than last season because last season was a pretty low floor but i mean as much as i believe that you know the bill o'brien thing is the, the, the matt patricia better than matt patricia stuff i just there's still a talent deficit they're going to be facing here obviously the quarterback situation has been kind of all over the place this preseason i just don't know if belichick actually still trusts mac jones to do anything i still think they're going to be running the ball an awful lot which puts huge pressure on Ramondre stevenson and jesus will zeke elliott actually be any good the defense will be good but this eagles team is stacked talent wise on both sides of the ball and i i can't see how belichick will ski will defensively scheme his way to a more than maybe four or five wins this season alone will just be based on Belichick does a defensive team to screw up the offense. But I just can't see it being enough to beat, beat the Eagles because there's just too much. There's just too much of the Eagles on both sides of the ball that you, one coach can't overcome that kind of differential. You just slightly passed over that, the, that, you know, Matt Patricia, the senior defensive assistant team he is for is the Philadelphia Eagles. So this is a revenge game. Matt Patricia <laughs> taking down his protege. The Matt Patricia or... revenge game. <laughs> His protege slash person whose career he nearly ruined. You know, it, it's it's complicated, but maybe he'll like take a laser pointer and hit it off a SpaceX satellite and get it right into Mac Jones' eyes using his rocket science degree. You know, like you know, all kinds of angles uh, there. Uh, Why crayon no right? Why crayon no right? <laughs> but yeah, like look, like we all know that Philadelphia are the favorites here. As Sean says, they are one of the most stacked teams in terms of talent in the NFL. They have two elite wide receivers. They have a great tight end. They have one of the best offensive lines, Jim and the them and the uh, Lions. Basically, they have a defense stacked with talent. Some questions maybe at linebacker, but that's not really an important position these days, uh, comparatively. Um, and that offensive, that defensive line talent against a somewhat questionable New England offense, you imagine, will make Mac Jones' life very difficult. So if New England are going to survive this, it's pretty much going to have to be like a New England Bill Belichick defensive masterpiece where Jalen Hurts, who obviously adjusted last year, kind of started taking those one-on-one deep balls to uh, A.J. Brown, who turned into be a really good uh, contested uh, catch receiver. Will he have something there after obviously a lot of tape out there, a lot of work done out there? But I think given just a lot of their success in offense, which is based on the fact that they're better than the defense in terms of just pure talent, it's always somewhat difficult to work around that. So I think, yeah, for Jalen Hurts, what you probably want him to see is just play a clean game. Don't give the ball away. Don't get fooled by the Bill Belichick disguises and the back end. And just play it safe and run the ball with DeAndre Swift and Rashad Penny. They're healthy, presumably, for week one. Don't worry about week seven uh, for now. And that's probably enough and enough talent to kind of get the ball, run it hard, and just kind of dominate this game and just take away New England's capacity to be smart. Just beat them up take them down and use the superior talent you have in both your lines and dominate a team in New England, which is obviously in a better place now without Matt Patricia with Bill O'Brien offenses stuff like that, but which on terms of talent is fairly mediocre. I'm sure Bill Belichick will maximize the talent, particularly on the defense, but there's, you know, 
when there's a big enough talent differential, talent will usually win out. Yeah, so we've gone fully across the board there. Next up, Green Bay at Chicago. We've gone for Chicago here. So obviously we have Fields coming in after a very exciting, if not maybe the most pass-based uh, quarterbacking we've seen <laughs> in a while. So the question is, will he look better as a passer this year? Or will he still be leading on, kind of getting out of the pocket and running and stuff like that? Will he have developed his game a lot? They've brought in DJ Moore. They've got a couple of weapons for him on the outside. They paid money to Cole Komet. Yeah. They are giving him weapons there. They're hoping to see something better. Like this, this is an interesting one because these are two teams, obviously division rivals, don't like each other. They're both in kind of respec mode. Obviously, Chicago are, are an extra year along on that, but they probably were starting from a less solid kind of traditional base in field as the quarterback. Green Bay have Love coming in. How's he going to be able to command this offense? It's extremely young. I think they have the highest number of rookies on a team this year. He's got a lot of young weapons there. Which ones are going to catch on? Like, you know, we've heard good things about Luke Musgrave, the tight end out of training camp, but what, will, will, that, will that turn into anything on the field? They've got a strong running back combo. They've got a decent, uh, decent defense in place. Like I don't think this is a massively one-sided match, given the fact, even even given the fact that we've all gone for the same team in this one. We've all gone for Chicago. I could see Green Bay coming in and surprising. There's not a lot of tape on them. It's obviously going to be a slightly different looking offense with Love under center, and also it's probably going to be more reflective of what the head coach's idea of this offense will look like, given Rodgers won't be changing plays all the time on him but yeah like I'm, I'm fairly high on the Chicago Bears this year I'm higher than a lot of people are on Green Bay I don't think they're going to be a bottom feeder I think they're going to be able to slot pieces in and they won't be great but they'll be exciting to watch so there's a lot to look at in this because I think these are two teams trying to take newer directions this year I think this is probably one of the least confident picks for me this week because both teams are just so uncertain. Obviously, the great hope is that Justin Fields will take that next step up. You know, we've seen guys make that, you know, jump in a given year when they finally get some offensive line around them, when they finally get some weapons. And that's basically the work that's been conducted this year by the Chicago in the offseason. They obviously traded for DJ Moore for that number one overall pick. They drafted Darnell Wright in the uh, first round. I think after a very much an offensive line that was in flux last year, I think they found a few guys that they can trust like Braxton Jones still questions there but they should be better and I think you just need to offer that kind of solid floor under which Justin Fields can actually feel comfortable and not feel he has to run and do 50 yard bullshit magic stuff but I think the fact that he has the bullshit magic stuff in his back pocket and he did a lot of that against Green Bay last year I think that's just the reason why you know at least we've seen something from Justin Fields that we know is fun working and we want to see more of if he can just add being a solid passer like like early Lamar Jackson level passer then that's the kind of thing where that would be a huge development for them I think their defense is a major question mark but they have been throwing some money around particularly in recent weeks for guys like Yannick Ngakwe they add a lot of places play things in the linebacker core I'd say it's definitely a weaker defense than Green Bay which is why I think it'd be perfectly fair to pick Green Bay here but I think for Green Bay we've literally not seen Jordan Love do anything he had a pretty good preseason but his as you say his weapons are incredibly raw his offensive line has a lot of names in it but not ones who've stayed healthy consistent for a full season in many in a couple of years at this stage and uh, the defense has been a little bit of a disappointment it's still a good defense there's lots of names like Rashawn Gary there and Kenny Clark so it should be good but it's been a little bit underwhelming compared to where it should be under Joe Barry over the last couple of years so I think for me, I'm going to pick Chicago because I kind of want to see them do well. I think you know what we saw from Justin Fields is exciting enough that I want to pick into it. But this, is, for me, is really much a coin flip game because these two teams are such in such a developmental stage at, at, at the moment. Yeah, I'm kind of the same. I think you go either way here. And I do think the Packers will probably end up being a little bit better than 
most people initially thought in the post-Rodgers thing. I don't know. I'm still not convinced Jordan Love is, is an NFL caliber quarterback, but I think he's going to, he's going to be given all the chances in the world by Matt LaFord to fix that. And, and they do have a pretty elite running back tandem that can carry them through games. But I guess in, just in terms of the who are we more excited about, the Bears are going to be uh, the team to go. I, I, they may not have an awful lot of talent all over the place, but if Justin Fields can, can click into gear, they're going to be a good kind of red zone highlight reel uh, anyway. So given them week one, we'll give them the nod just because you want to believe in these sorts of things. But maybe in the long run, the Packers will probably have the better season. Next up, Vegas taking on the Denver Broncos. Uh, me and Sean have gone for the Broncos. Ronan's gone for Vegas. So the question is, can Kevin James... In, oh, sorry, I mean, uh, can, can Sean Payton <laughs> influence this team enough to kind of turn the corner and get away from the Russell Wilson bullshit. He looked terrible, but you know, he, he came in, he put his foot down. He said, no, you're not allowed to have an office. Uh, you can't have anyone in here working with you. Yeah. Bad Russell Wilson. So we'll see if that does anything. Only, only Taysom Hill can have an office when we inevitably trade for him. <laughs> yes, almost certainly that's going to happen. The problem that Denver are going to face in this game is that about about 12 of their wide receivers are injured at this point so we'll have to see who they're going at but they do have decent tight ends they have a couple of decent running backs in the room they still got they they, they did have a lot of depth at wide receivers so even their kind of third and fourth guys are probably be twos and threes on other teams so hopefully that'll still be able to hold up for them and they do have albeit aging talent on that defense from the vegas side this is the setup of the alternate of the alternate patriots we've got jimmy g in there they do have very nice looking weapons they've got adams out there josh jacobs who they've sorted their contract disputes with for the moment with the problem is i just I, I said last week that I just I have a feeling that this Vegas thing isn't going to work. I'm not I'm not sure this kind of chasing what once worked in New England seven or eight years ago hasn't worked out for other Belichick disciples when they've tried to build it. I don't think it's gonna I don't think it's the type of schemes that maximizes the likes of Adams and stuff anyway, and I don't think Jimmy G's the type of passer that would maximize someone like Adams. So I I just I just I don't think Denver are going to be fantastically good. I think Vegas are going to be a lot worse than their talent would suggest they should be. I don't think this is going to be a particularly good game to watch. I'm slightly going to Denver side, I think basically just because of the home team. And I'd imagine Peyton will be able to draw some bits up that will be interesting at least. Albeit that this is probably just like the slow inevitable five or six games until the, he can shit can Russell and, and, and bring in his own guy instead. But yeah, yeah, I'm going for going for Denver in a very low wattage game. I'm in the camp that neither of these teams are likely to be relevant this season. In a stacked AFC and, and the AFC West obviously has two good teams and already in the Chiefs and Chargers. Obviously the big hope for Denver is Sean Payton comes in and immediately fixes everything, which is definitely possible considering what a disaster Nathaniel Hackett was. But there's still huge question marks, as you say there, with the wide receiver core being an issue. Russell Wilson may just be done. Like Russell Wilson was a guy who obviously lived off his ability to make improvisational plays, could run it. Is he just now washed because he can't run? Very fit looking apparently this offseason. He's looking very well, but you know, necessarily when you're in your 30s, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to run any faster than you did previously. And it'll keep you healthy as well as you get hit, but I don't know. I'm just very skeptical about the whole Russell Wilson, Sean Payton thing. And the Sean Payton thing in the long run can develop back into something that's a playoff relevant again. But with Russell Wilson in this situation, I just feel like, especially the way Payton was like, you know, blowharding in the offseason, 
I just don't get the right vibes off them. I don't really love the Vegas team either, but I kind of feel like they're slightly more developed. We kind of know what they want, and while what they want isn't particularly interesting, I think it's sufficiently talented. And with Devontae Adams and Josh Jacobs back there, I think, you know, even though Jimmy G's foot might explode by the end of the season in week one, I say they edge it out here, but like I don't think it can be very confident in either of these teams, either in this game or going forward. Yeah, not much to add to these two uninspiring teams. I largely go for the Broncos because I think Sean Payton, I still you know, believe in him as a coach who can do interesting things. Whereas the Raiders, I just, it's very hard to get excited about them at all, other than maybe, you know, Devontae Adams will do something exciting. Not a, not a game to, to go out of your way to watch, uh, especially since it's going to be on the later time window here in in, the, in Europe. Uh, the Peyton influence just gives me the, the edge for the Broncos here, but I wouldn't be surprised to go either way, to be honest. We move on to the late night footballs. Uh, by the way, just as an aside, so our, our Sunday night football is Dallas at Giants and our Monday night football is Buffalo at Jets. The poor ground staff that are going to have to maintain <laughs> this pitch being played on two nights in a row is just, it's its brutal. I get why they want it and all that stuff, but like still. Okay, Dallas at the Giants. I am on my own here with the Giants and you guys have gone Dallas. Look, they've got Danny Dimes is there and he's been paid. They've come to an agreement with Saquon, so he's going to be there. They've got new weapons. They've got Darren Waller. They've got a decent wide receiver core. Like, I'm kind of excited for this. I liked the maximization that the Giants made of their talent last year. I hope to see them build a little bit more in it this year with a couple of the new weapons they've brought in. On the Dallas side, we've got Dak Prescott, who sometimes looks great, sometimes looks terrible. So we'll see which one of them come out at this point. But as you said, their offensive line has gotten a bit better. They no longer have Zeke Elliott in the backfield. So hopefully their running game will be a little bit more consistent this time around. They've got plenty of wide receiver options, even their wide receiver 3-4 in Gallup at the moment looks a lot better than he did beforehand another year away from that injury so they will have quality there Dallas have the nod on defense as well they do have the far more talented defense out of the two but the Giants are at home and traveling this far for a game is always quite difficult particularly on defenses so I'm going to go with the Giants although I can completely see the the the, the case for Dallas to be here because I think Dallas are the more talented team albeit that I think there were a bit more kind of highs and lows on offense than I think the Giants are a fairly solid offense obviously this is going to be a tricky one in terms of divisional matchups where teams know each other very well could always be it's going to be a bit of a chess match and the Giants Dayball definitely proved last year that he's, he's he's definitely one of the better head coaches in the NFL simply because of what he what he turned this team uh, into and and if it is, does come down to a, a straight off kind of brain off between Dayball and Mike McCarthy then obviously picking the Giants is no bad thing I just think I just think the Cowboys the start of se- seasons always start well for the Cowboys right they always seem to have a little bit of, of spark <laughs> in the in their early going I think I think Dak is going on now that he's got Trey Lance behind him is going to have to, you know, prove himself a little bit more. Maybe he got a little bit complacent, having only to to beat out Cooper Rush. I think Tony Pollard in, in the in the RB one is going to allow him to do a lot more damage. They got play like like Lamb and Cooks at wide receiver, so I, I've I've got to trust that they've got the talent on that side um, to do well. Obviously, on the defensive side, you know, strengths in terms of the coaching of Dan Quinn, and also obviously Micah Parsons could be this could be the year he he you know takes the full step up and becomes like the the dominant force that we all expect him to to be. So to me, I just think that talent differential, I just think 
the, the Giants, they're well coached, but do they really have an awful lot going offensively? If Dan Quinn finds a way to, to stifle Barkley and to get at Danny Dimes, do the Giants have that X factor that is going to allow them to, to get around those difficult situations and score points? I find that difficult to, to, to see how that's going to happen. Whereas I trust this Cowboys offense to, to, to get a, a, a solid number of points. They're a solid team, and I think they, they, will, they will do what needs to be done in this game to get over the line. I think for me, it's mostly uh, Daniel Jones versus this Dallas defense problem. I think Daniel Jones, obviously, Dable did a great job maximizing his talent last year, but it was a very limited scheme, pretty much first or second read, then scramble. I think for a defense that has such, you know, talents like Micah Parsons, who can just make absolute mincemeat of people like Daniel Jones, that might be a bit of an issue. And I think Dallas's defense is pretty strong, pretty much from back to end, though that front line in particular could be an issue. So unless the Giants can really get the ball going with Saquon Barkley, I just struggle to see them putting up enough points to compete against a Dallas offense, which I think, despite the Giants having a solid defensive line, I would say their back end is only so-so. They're going to start Deontay Banks, who had a pretty rough preseason, for example, a cornerback. So I just see Dallas getting back on track, kind of having a solid start of the year. And if Dak Prescott can just avoid the turnovers he had last year, I think that's kind of the big difference where Dallas can get back to where they probably belong based on their top-level talent. They're not the, the most deep talent, but the top-level, like, 11 on both sides is among the best in the league, and that should be enough to take care of a Giants team, which is maybe a little bit uh, not quite into far as its development. Yeah, and the, uh, the Dallas Cowboys will probably need something nice to hold on to because Jerry Jones was speaking to the media today and if I was a Dallas fan, this would make my blood run cold so that because he's owner and GM, he can make quick decisions like trading for Trey Lance. He already had all the information he needed, so he didn't need to speak with anyone before making the move. I don't have to send it around. I can make trades like that in five minutes. Yeah, like the, 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 the Jerry Jones-Mike McCarthy like combo is not the most stable. It's, it's uh, terrifying. I'm going to I'm going to give them the edge in week 1 just so they're a better team and they can get it done but uh, yeah an, an, over the course aging, of the season yeah. an aging Jerry Jones bragging about the fact that he can just do whatever trades he wants and no one can stop him in 5 minutes flat is uh terrifying okay and finally on to the last game of week 1 Monday night football the battle for the top of the AFC East question mark Buffalo at New York Jets and this is Sean's pick of the week it's obviously, I think it's the the best game of the week in terms of the talent level on display and uh, interest because obviously these there's there's a lot of narratives going into this. The the Bills on the one side have been have been the force in the AFCs for the last few years, but they really last year was supposed to be the championship year, the year where it all came together, and they obviously fell apart in a big way in the Bengals in the playoffs. On the other side, we have the Jets, this young exciting team who's now added the the X factor of Aaron Rodgers uh, and uh, Dalvin Cook for good measure in the hope that that will get them um, over the line. And obviously, everyone's very interested in seeing how the, how the Jets work out. Obviously, Rodgers can be... He can be mercurial. He can be the best quarterback in the league, but he can also have days where he just doesn't try. And you got to feel week one, he's definitely going to be in the mood to perform and do some interesting things. He's got people like Garrett Wilson and Brees Hall, young, young people around him, and he's also brought in, you know, Alan Lazard for some bizarre reason. Uh, and their defense, Salah, uh, Robert Salah, good defensive coach, some great, great 
defensive talent there, especially to, to give up people like Sauce Gardner and such like. So the Jets have an awful lot of talent and an awful lot of expectation. And here it is, home game, week one coming in against a team that they're basically going to have to get over the hump if they want to be a dominant force uh, in the AFC East versus a, a Bills team that's maybe a little bit unsure of itself uh, in the aftermath of what's happened. But you can't really doubt the talent of people a lot like Josh Allen or, or the, the the coaching talent of Sean McDermott or the the defensive they've they've really a lot of interesting good pieces on on the defense. So I think it's going to be a very high profile, high high octane game. Four really good units on the field. Both teams have good offenses and good defenses, and it's going to be an awful lot of back and forth uh, in terms of the coaching and the chess match and the such like. And I can certainly see the Jets winning. I think if Aaron Rodgers turns up and and has you know a day, an Aaron Rodgers day where he's doing everything right and everything is clicking perfectly, I can certainly see the Jets winning. But I'm going to give the edge to the Bills solely because there is too there is a little bit too much uncertainty about this Jets. This Jets team could turn up week one being amazing, or it could take a few weeks for this to click or it may never click the thing about this rogers jets experiment is that it's an experiment we don't really know what influence this guy is going to have on the overall team dynamic this was a you know a, a very solid kind of team unit everyone was on the same page they, they were young and up and coming and they're hard working rogers kind of changed that dynamic a bit bring in dalvin cook as well it's like this isn't really the team you want to be doing the quick fix for this was a team that was slowly building itself up to in three or four years being a really good team and now they kind of tried to jump the gun a little bit and i, I wonder how that dynamic is going to work in, in the locker room if rogers tries to too much to be the superstar with a bunch of kids as opposed to recognizing the talent around me did struggle last year to give any kind of respect to his rookie wide receivers so i don't know how much he he's going to get into these these young guys like wilson and give them the time um that they are required so that for me that's the question i just don't know how good this jets offense is actually going to be on the field and for me the bills they're going to be determined they're going to be like this this has to be our last year may not have been our year but this year definitely has to be our year and you you trust someone like mcdermott to fix the the pieces and with josh allen he's always capable of winning a game uh, coming down the stretch so just because the bills are more of a known entity and i know what to expect from them i'm going to give them the edge in this game but i certainly would not be surprised if the jets win either looking at this Setup. I can see why you're calling for the Buffalo Bills. I've got a. I've, I've. We discussed this throughout the off season a few times, Sean. I've got a feeling that this is probably the tail end of this Buffalo Bills run. I think maybe they're not quite as well set up as they as they could be for it. I. I look at this Jets team and I get you entirely. Their offense hasn't been phenomenal. They do have a lot of quality pieces there, and I think you know certain things don't really show up in preseason very much things like you know they have an incredibly good deep running back room and stuff that they could do a lot more with they do have gareth wilson and good weapons but the the key to this team is the defense i think their defense is incredible it showed up hugely last year i think they've gotten better if anything looking at both the preseason stuff their moves in the offseason i think it's a very solid unit and from buffalo's side this is a team that kind of goes as josh allen goes josh allen was less good last year hopefully he's gotten a coach in personally or whatever that can help him out but like his his accuracy his completion percentage and things like that were going down last year and this is the type of defense that has a secondary that can capitalize on inaccuracies that can that can go one-to-one that like when you have your stefan Diggs, they can respond with a sauce gardener like this is this is the a defense that's designed to cause issues for buffalo and the, the the running element of josh allen is something that i think is effectively off the table in the early season because i don't think they can risk it that early in the season for him to get injured with it so it's going to be 
reliant on James Cook being worked in effectively and things like that, which which I would worry about. But the issue is going to be that Jets offense. Does it click? It hasn't looked fantastic so far. Yes, they have good pieces, but it hasn't looked fantastic. So what will it look like at full speed and against a Buffalo defense that is like... It, they're not bottom of the pack themselves. Like they are the decent and strong in certain areas defense. I think Jets at home, Aaron Rodgers bringing a lot of energy to this team. This will be a big statement win at home in the division. And I think, I, th- I think it's going to be their defense. that's going to win it. I think Josh Allen is going to make mistakes in this game. And I think that's what's going to, what's, what's, what's going to cause the, the difference. I've got a feeling it's not going to be the highest scoring game in the world. <laughs> I think it's an interesting game. I think it's like, you know, uh, form is temporary, but class is permanent. But, you know, one-on-one matchup in week one, maybe form is enough. And I think, you know, the Jets, they're, they're riding the lightning, right? Obviously, they make the big trade for Aaron Rodgers. They've loaded up their front seven with as much depth as they can find. They seem to have pass rushers coming out of their ass during the preseason. We'll see how many of them make an impact, obviously, with the starters coming back as well. They got Sauce Gardner there, adding so much attitude and quality to their back end. DJ Reed's a good uh, compliment to him on the other side as well. You, you have some more veteran guys, perhaps in the linebacker core. Uh, Quinn and Williams coming up the middle, like that that defense looks dangerous like based on what you saw in the in the preseason they were really good last year but somehow they look like they might be even better this year when you inject someone like mcdonald who looks like a genuine threat on those passing downs into that rotation and like they're a team that's going all in right now you know garrett wilson and Brees hall are there obviously the great hopes and we'll see we probably won't see too much of Brees hall but you might make a cool cameo or two davin cook is coming in there but you know it's alan azar grand club they're not really exciting but they know exactly what you're going to get when you pair them up with aaron Rodgers. he's going to trust those guys and tyler conklin a tight end will probably do similar the line their hope obviously big questions over mecky beckton and, and dwayne brown but obviously you imagine rogers usually makes his offensive line look better than he is because he gets the ball out very quick very fast and is very very rare that he throws any interception so the buffalo defense is going to stop aaron rogers is going to have to do it the hard way grind him down and keep this into kind of a, a you know a, an arm wrestle of a game but just a defense it look, looks genuinely dangerous and i think i agree with you connor i think they could make some big splash plays and make josh allen have a really tough uh, tough uh first outing because like obviously the bills were one of the teams that didn't really do much in preseason so he'll be coming in fairly cold and i think like just the bills they're obviously i picked them to go to the super bowl so i, I genuinely want to believe but they kind of feel like more a team that will grow into this season than one that will come out hot i think they're a team that's kind of going through some identity issues and they're you know Van Miller's obviously going to miss the, the beginning of the season again and their defense has a couple of veterans and I think they're coming towards I think on the defense they're reaching the end of the era and I think the offense while fine in its current status will probably need to do something substantive next offseason because I think like the whole Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs being the bedrock of your entire offense isn't good enough so they're going to need guys like Gabe Davis or Khalil Shakir or Deontay Harty to make a major step up and bring something else to them because we saw again and again against the very great defenses having one or two options is not enough and we haven't seen josh allen he obviously made a huge leap a few years ago in terms of his mechanics and being much more accurate but he did not make the transition that we've seen for someone like patrick mahomes where with teams taking away the big play being able to continuously and successfully take what's given by the defense and march your way down off uh, down the down the field you know inch by inch by inch i think he has the arm talent to get those tight window throws and to do that but he hasn't shown to me the capacity to do that on a consistent basis and if he, he hasn't made that step up in the offseason under Ken Dorsey, obviously the OC, who was his quarterback coach. I'm not sure it's going to happen. I don't know if it's ever going to happen. And it just means that they they lack that 
feather in their cap that the Chiefs have, which is why they won the Super Bowl. Um, their defense is good, but once again, you know, they're relying on guys like Leonard Floyd picked up in free agency to kind of complement their uh, pass rush uh, things with Vaughn Miller not being there. You know, they are good in the defensive backfield. I think Trey White and Dane Jackson and Poyer and Hyde are good, but are they at their best? Are they going to be elite? And I think with McDermott, well, not firing, Leslie Frazier technically took one year away, but McDermott taking full control of the defense himself once again. He obviously was a great defensive coordinator before he joined the Bills. That just feels like the, the act of a man who knows that this is the window is closing and he's got to go do something himself to make sure that they maximize whatever they have left. And in this game, I think the Jets, with all the hype and all the fun and at home and all the fans going crazy for Rodgers, they might just edge it. But yeah, this is a really close game, really interesting game, and we'll set a really interesting uh, benchmark for what we can expect from these two teams going forward. Yeah, so excellent, lads. That's our that's our slate of week one games. It's a pretty tasty looking. Looking forward to it. I'll be down in the woolshed watching this with a bunch of the lads. I suppose that's probably, as we say, that's that's what our plan for the weekend is. It's going to be NFL, 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 and probably aggressively fixing our terrible decisions in our multiple fantasy team. <laughs> aye, aye, aye. Yeah. They all look so good right now, but uh, yeah. yeah. There's also a bit of rugby on, but uh, it's versus Romania, so probably, hopefully, be a blowout. So nothing to worry about there. Yeah, for fair Ireland. enough. No, should be uh, should be good fun. Uh, any other plans for the weekend? Uh, my wife is doing a, a half marathon, so we'll be popping out to that. But yeah, other than that, fairly fairly chilled out until the uh, the football. Uh, yeah, I'm going to actually be in Cork on Saturday for a dental appointment, so I might see if I can catch people for mid afternoon pints or coffee or whatever people are doing. Yeah, hopefully meet up with Sean at the weekend uh, since he's around Cork and uh, definitely be catching the NFL. But uh, yeah. Between those two, it'll be uh, that's probably enough, and uh, anything else is just doing the usual uh, weekend work. Very good, very good. Well, I suppose that'll wrap us up for this week. So, this is bye from myself, bye from Sean, bye, bye from Roland. Bye. This has been all four quarters. Thanks for listening. We'll chat to you next week.